0: The Feminist Coach Academy podcast is proudly supported by Perk Digital, helping professional and entrepreneurial women amplify their message, build their body of work, and leave a legacy through podcasts. For more information about how podcasts can help you build your brand, visit perkdigital.com.au. To the Feminist Coach Academy podcast, where inclusive feminism, business, and coaching meet. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the co-founders of the Feminist Coach Academy, Naomi Arnold and Cameron Aaron. We are Feminist Life and Biz Coaches, both passionate about helping coaches, therapists, helping professionals. Practitioners and entrepreneurs integrate a feminist lens and perspective into their businesses, life, and client practice. On this podcast, we plan to help you do so. Now, let's get started. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here and for listening. Um, We have a great episode for you today. We have one of our members on here, Nikki Haggett, um, talking about body liberation and feminism. And it's a really good one. But before we get to it, as mentioned on our last episode, we have officially launched the Feminist Coach Academy certification training that is starting in September. The first intake starts in September, and it goes for about six months. And you have the opportunity to get certified in Feminist Coach Theory. Again, you do not have to be a coach to join. We also don't certify you as a coach. We certify you in feminist coach theories, and you will learn how to integrate that into your work with your clients and in your business. So if you are any sort of helping professional or creative entrepreneur who wants to learn how to integrate inclusive feminism into your work and your business, then our certification training might be for you. Go to Feminist Coach Academy courses.com. That's the direct link to the sales page for the certification training. And the direct link is also in the episode notes. We are super excited to be offering this training for you. You can learn all about it on our website, and we hope that you will join us. So today's episode with Nikki, who is a body liberation mentor and intuitive eating coach. Nikki was a member of our pilot round that ran from July 2019 to June 2020, so it just recently ended. And is also continuing on in our certification training to get certified. And super excited to have Nikki. Really enjoyed having Nikki in our community. Um, She's an amazing person who um, is multi-talented. And she's doing amazing work in the world. And we have a really rich conversation for you around um, body liberation stuff And feminism. And Nikki also shares her experience of being a part of the pilot round of Feminist Coach Academy and how that has um, helped her with her business. And yeah, she's a wonderful, wise coach and mentor that we highly recommend. You can learn more about Nikki and her work at nicolahaggett.com. The link is also in our episode notes. All right, well, let's get to this awesome conversation. So I think we just start with you just telling us what is your business and who do you serve? Sure. So I
1: call myself a body liberation mentor and an intuitive feeding coach. Basically, what that means is I help folks to heal the relationship with food, unlearn body shame and live their fullest life right now and in the body they've got. I mostly work with folks in higher weight bodies and that's generally because I describe myself as being in a fat body and that's a word that I've reclaimed in a positive way and I know that's hard for a lot of folks that I work with as well, but basically they like to work with me because they know I have that lived experience of what it's like to try and work on accepting yourself when the world um, tells you that it's not okay to, to be fat.
0: Mm, so important. I am in love with what you do and how. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Cam. Yes. So I am curious what inspired you to focus on this and just start your coaching business on this. And, you know, feel free to tell any part of your story that you're comfortable with. Totally up to you.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, it's quite a pivot for me. I'm 40 years old now and relatively... A young business at coaching. But basically, it all started because I struggled with my own relationship with food, my body for most of my life, you know, all through my 20s and definitely into my early 30s. You know, I was successful in many other parts of my life, but I had a, a lot of body loathing. I struggled with binge eating disorder in my 20s. Um, And thankfully, I got support from that. But a lot of the support that I got was also came along with a lot of weight stigma and a lot of encouragement to, you know, both have a better relationship with food, but also to be dieting and trying to lose weight all the time. Um, And the two things just didn't go together. And when I had my kids, I've got two little boys, I experienced so much fat phobia. In that process um, in the hospital and from medical professionals who were all you know mostly well-meaning people but also just had so much bias towards me being in a bigger body and I think when I came out of that experience it really made me want to help address that a little bit and that path brought me towards a concept called health at every size which is a weight inclusive approach to health. So, through my own work to have a more compassionate and caring relationship towards my body, I started to work on intuitive eating and basically eventually found my way to training in both of those modalities. And, you know, this was over many, many years. And I guess. For me what led me to want to work in this space is that while I worked with lots of amazing dietitians and therapists most of them are in smaller bodies and a big piece that was really missing from me was naming how harder it is how much harder it is to to do this healing work whenever you know you're experiencing weight stigma all the time so I really wanted to be that person that I really wished I had whenever I was going through that process.
0: Mm, beautiful, yeah, I totally understand that. You know, wanting to be that person that that you wish you'd had. I'm wondering, you know, how much of your how much of feminism inspired this for you? Because you know, we've seen some shifts within feminism becoming more body positive, body neutral, whatever terms we're using now. And so I'm curious, like, did you find that first and did that help spark this or was that just complete kind of separate? It's a good question.
1: And it's something we can circle back to a little bit as well. Is like a lot of feminist movements are actually, there's a lot of diet culture in there. It's kind of strange. Um, But I definitely came to that second. And what I mean by that is that when I was going through this process of For example, intuitive eating and learning to trust my body and listen to my my body's own wisdom with regards to what I wanted to eat, how much I wanted to eat, when I wanted to eat, how I want to move my body, how I want to care for myself. A big piece that was missing was any kind of social justice lens, um, any acknowledgement of the ways in which that I lost trust with my body in the first place. The Health at Every Size movement does include, is now starting to include a lot more of a social justice perspective. But what really helped me integrate feminist therapy specifically in my work was when I trained with Hilary Kenevi and Dana Sturtenvant, who are a therapist dietitian team from an organisation called Be Nourished in Portland, Oregon. And I trained with them in a healing modality called Body Trust, and that um, modality was one that just really brought everything together for me because it includes feminist therapy, it includes social justice movements, it includes intersectional lens alongside all these other pieces. So that is what made everything click in place for me because I think that we can't do this work without acknowledging the ways in which, you know, people socialized as women. And people in all bodies are taught to, to lose trust in our body in the first place, you know, as a result of these systems of oppression that, you know, that we're all subject to right from the
0: very beginning. Right, exactly. It really is the systems of oppression that teach us these things, these messages about our bodies. And, but I do see actually a disconnect between, you know, there are feminists who aren't quite on board with this yet. And then... There are those who are doing this work, but they're not talking about oppression or systemic oppression at all in relation to it
1: yeah it's a it's a funny one. I mean, Hillary, who is yeah, I know I know Hillary, but maybe some people listening don't so so Hillary, who's um Hillary Kennavy from Be nurse that I just mentioned, who's one of my teachers, you know, she talks about coming from a family of feminists, you know was really brought up steeped in. Yeah, uh, to be raised to be a strong feminist, but she names this disconnect that she had in her family, where you know everyone was still dieting, <laughs> everyone was still you know focused on food, and also that it can morph into healthism and you know an obsession with wellness, you know. And there's no, I'm not shaming anyone for that. Um, it's kind of the soup that we swim in. But I think that when we talk about systems of oppression, size is often left out of the equation. You're right. More and more people are starting to name it and recognize it and see that 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 really, if we're looking to divest, you know, from patriarchy, from capitalism, from white supremacy, we have to include size within that because it's it's rooted within those systems.
0: Absolutely. I, I see this movement as a feminist movement as because. You know, it it is the white heteropatriarchy that tells us we have to live up to some body ideal and that really perpetuates the body shaming and gives us these messages and it and yeah, it's it's all connected. And so I see this as being absolutely central to feminism and I think that this is absolutely part of all of our liberation.
1: Yes. You know, and that's why I call myself a body liberation mentor.
0: You know when you mentioned
1: earlier there's all these different terms but i specifically use liberation because you know when i use that word we're talking about being for the collective liberation of all bodies from all of these societal expectations including our own um but i think that when we use different terms it's more of that individual approach You know, and also, you know, for example, body positivity, which, you know, can be a really helpful um, movement for a lot of people, it can leave out some of the more marginalized bodies and push those to the side and doesn't elevate those voices. So, you know, body liberation is about more intentionally seeking for the liberation of all bodies. And also, like, naming the fact that not everybody. Is going to have the same access to feeling positively towards their body, and that that shouldn't have to be the aim. Mm.
0: What do you think the aim
1: is? Well, f- from well, it depends. I mean, I think the way that I approach my work is so to have a, an awareness of my own lens that I see the world through and how that's shaped by my many privileges. You know, I'm a white cisgendered heteronormative mostly able-bodied, financial secure women. I live in a fat body and that's where I experience quite a bit of stigma. I'm also a woman. But, you know, what my definition of body liberation is going to be different than somebody else's depending on their experiences of being in a body. So really the starting point for me is always helping them to center their own story and their own experiences. And really it's about helping them define what it's going to mean for them and giving them tools and support and practices really that support them in having like a more compassionate relationship with their body and being in a relationship with their body that's flexible and that supports them throughout their whole life because you know we go through all these transitions and and different experiences which impact our access to how we feel about our body yeah so it's really
0: individual yeah, it is. Oh, Nikki, we need more Nikki's in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Thank> you, <Cam. laughs> we need more of all of us. Yeah, right. I was. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's I mean, it's what's beautiful within the Feminist Coach Academy is we all all of us that are in the pilot round have been socialized as women. So we all have that in common. But beyond that, we have different experiences beyond that. Right. And I, we're teaching each other. hundred percent. You know, that's what's
1: so lovely. You know, I was just catching up on the office hours with Lena and Catherine and Shannon and Sharon. And, you know, it was just, yeah, I think that's the richness when you bring together all these different experiences and different skill sets. It's really lovely.
0: Yeah, and we can be an advocate for all of these things, whether we experience them personally or not. And, you know, like as a thin person myself, who's always been thin, I realized at some point that thin privilege is real. And it, by be honest, at first it took me a little while to believe that, only because my whole life people would be like, you're so skinny, like as if it was a bad thing. And so I was like, but then I realized, well, I have never experienced what people in bigger or fatter bodies experience. Like what I've, the, ne- the kind of like negative tone comments that I've experienced, you know, it, it's not oppression. And that's a difference. And I realized that, you know, I have so much privilege being in a thin body. And I started seeing it more and more and more and more. And, you know, I'm a total advocate now, and I just think that, you know, going back to the liberation, that body liberation and eliminating fat stigma benefits all of us, including thin people. Yes, yeah.
1: And that, you know, thin privilege exists on a spectrum, you know? I think that... It does. And we can all... You know, I think sometimes we experience that defensiveness. um, And thank you for being so generous in talking about that because, you know, we all experience that defensiveness when we have privilege in different areas. You know, that's been part of my own journey for unpacking, you know, why privilege, which is an ongoing process, I imagine will take me the rest of my life. And, you know, I experience then privilege to a certain degree. I'm in a fat body, but I really know that there are folks in much bigger bodies than me and super fat bodies and infinite fat bodies. And, you know, the levels of access that they have to even getting clothes, to getting new chairs to sit in and um, air travel, you know, access to any kind of equitable health care is much more challenging than it is for me. So, you know, I also, you know, have had to intentionally work to unpack my own layers of internalized fat phobia and really like not stop at me if that makes sense to really work to listen to the stories of people who are much more marginalized than me yeah and be an advocate for them as well
0: yes great point yes and i i think it you know body liberation benefits all of us because no matter what size you are we have all been told to live up to a certain ideal body ideal and And even people in thin bodies or thinner bodies, you know, still give, you know, are told to give into diet culture and to try to maintain thinness. And there's like this obsession and it's not, you know, that's right. So if we can eradicate that, that's going to be liberating for everyone. And I used to work in the fitness world as a personal trainer and a running coach and you know, it's just it's so cringy to me now that that people are still focused on weight loss and dieting. But but you're right, it's the soup we live in. And so at the same time, I have compassion for it too. And you know, and it's not like I'm totally evolved. It hasn't been my biggest struggle in my life, but certainly I have gotten those oppressive messages you know, and I have to work at unlearning them continuously.
1: Continuously. And, you know, me too. Something that I'm really upfront about in my work is that I am not against anyone who is dieting or anyone who is in this struggle. Right,
0: right. Yeah, because I have so much compassion. (laughs) Well, uh, yes, I remember you saying that before. And that's really important because... Yeah. At the same time, there's no shame in feeling what you're feeling or even wanting what you want. But I I do get annoyed by the the culture that is obsessed with all of this. Yes. Hard
1: on systems, soft on people.
0: Yes. There (laughs) we go. I can't remember
1: who said that. I feel like we need to credit whoever came up with that phrase but we'll google it later we'll google it later and give credit but um because that's part of our feminist tradition isn't it yes yeah i mean i think and also like in my work i talk about body liberation being a practice it's not an end destination it's not some place of perfection that we arrive at because while we exist in these systems of oppression and while we're experiencing you know, stigma. And, you know, for a lot of folks in more marginalized bodies, you know, they're experiencing many layers of oppression. And, you know, sometimes um, trying to control their body or trying to, you know, lose weight can be, you know, a really valid way of trying to cope with reducing stigma in one area, which, you know, can feel manageable even for that short period of time. So, so when, when I work with folks, I always say, like, um, your ambivalence around your body is welcome in our discussions. You know, I'm never going to judge you. And and even if folks, you know, for a time, you know, feel the call of the siren call of diet culture or we feel that urge to change their body, you know, I don't think that that, mean, that means that they're failing. You know, it's kind of how having these practices helps us return to ourselves, you know. I think that there sometimes can be so much shame around feeling that you're not doing it right or you're not accepting your body enough. Absolutely. And I still have bad body image days. And, you know, at the time in which we're recording this, you know, with COVID-19 crisis going on, there is so much more fat phobia and so much more, you know, pressures around food that are coming up for folks, whether it's scarcity or feeling like they might have too much food in the home really worrying about like, I'm eating healthily and how am I going to move my body? Am I going to gain weight? So it's totally normal, you know, in many situations for us to go back to those old coping mechanisms of like, okay, what's something I think I can control? Food, you know?
0: That's a good point. Yeah, exactly. There's so many layers to this.
1: You know, and I think that something we talk about in body trust is that it's we're not broken. We're not Doing it wrong; these are ways of coping and helping us survive in the world, and it's not our fault.
0: Yes, I love that. I hope whoever is listening can take a big sigh on that. <laughs> you know, no shame, no judgment. I think you know we have to be careful in the personal growth and coaching world to not always be striving for improvement. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. And you know it's so hard. Mm -hmm. Yes, it (laughs) It is is
1: so hard. Me and perfectionism. I've been on such a long path together, and it's so easy to apply that concept to so many other places. You know, and again, to talk about body trust again for a moment. You know, one of the hardest parts for me and for my clients, and they kind of look at me when I talk about it, is what Hillary and Data refer to as C work. You know, like we're going to do this. We're going to try different, not harder. And that feels so counterintuitive initially, because it's like, I want the 10 step plan. Like, what is the end point here? Because that's, that's, you know, that's diet culture. That's part of what's so alluring about it. You know, it promises us that if we do X, Y and Z, you know, everything will be solved. And really what this is about is a practice. It's not about getting it perfect. It's about having self-compassion for yourself. It's about working on listening to your body and relearning those ways of connection that we lose over time. But it's not about getting it perfect. And I think that that is such a hard truth to learn, really. Yes, it is. It's ongoing, you know, and that's why I talk about it as a practice, because it's something that I'm practicing all the time as well. You know, I haven't arrived at some level of perfection. I have deep roots into them, into my practices, but I get swayed just as everyone else. It's just that, you know, I'm able to write myself a lot quicker over time.
0: Yeah. So not working harder, but different. I feel like that's what feminist business is all about too.
1: Yes. And that is one of the things that, so like circling back to when you asked me about, you know, how feminism links with all this. That was one of the things that brought me to you and I was, you know, I had Donald's training, you know, which was really grounded in feminist therapy and social justice movements. But then when I did my coach training, with, I trained with the Coaches Training Institute, which was amazing training, but it was really missing that whole piece around identity and an intersectional lens and looking at system suppression and looking at gender inequality, that whole piece was missing. And then even more missing, as you know, you know, when I looked at, okay, I'm going to set up my coaching business to bring these things together. There was so much about the way that, you know, we're marketed to by business coaches and in how to set up a coaching business. It just made me tense. And like, I just felt this, I just couldn't put my finger on it, but it just felt a bit icky in some ways and I was like there's got to be a different way and I hadn't even heard much about you or not. I remember when I first emailed you because I was just so excited when I saw that you know what you were putting together in the pilot round I was like oh my gosh this is this is what I need because so much of this hustle culture and you know bro culture and you know manipulative marketing messages and business practices is really like part of the coaching world
0: yes right it is do you want to learn how to integrate feminist coach theory and inclusive feminism into your work and your business then we invite you to join our certification training in the feminist coach academy Our first intake starts this September and we are offering early bird pricing right now. Go to our website, feministcoachacademycourses.com to learn more about our certification training, how you can get certified in feminist coach theory and be a part of an inclusive feminist community that is here to support you in your life, in your business and integrating feminist perspectives with intersectional frameworks into your coaching, your work, your everyday life, and your business. We hope you'll join us. Go to feministcoachacademy.com to learn more. Can you think of some specific things that you've learned about that? Specifically that from the
1: bro side or from the kind of how we can do things differently? Yeah,
0: either way. Either way. Yeah, so I think
1: often when when i was looking at setting up a coaching practice for example even in the basic way of what kind of packages are you going to have charging your worth i think that there's a lot of interesting discussions to be had around money which we're having within the you know the feminist coach academy but i think that it's a really one sided message that you get out there like we've got to be charging these packages we've got to constantly be scaling our businesses that these you know have all of this language which sort of signals scarcity and is kind of manipulative and shaming a little bit in the in the way that we talk about what we do and there's also just a lot of pressure to be like setting it up a certain way and launching and do you know which I think when you when you aren't able to check in with your values and the way that we talk about you know the way that we talk about in our conversations in the developing coach collective and the feminist coach academy you know that checking in with your feminist principles and your values and grinding yourself and does this feel right? You know, what what's my intuition telling me? You know, what's missing here? Whose voices are being more elevated and who's, you know, who's whose are not? I think when it's missing that whole piece, I think that it's really very likely that we're gonna end up doing a lot more harm and really not making our work um, I don't know, feel aligned with like, like what we're all about. Like, That was definitely what it was for me. I was like, it didn't feel aligned, it felt clunky and that I couldn't bring the two things together.
0: Yeah, exactly, right? This is, I mean, it's all about bringing all of this together. I mean, this is, it's all already connected. We're just have to show how and to um, forage a different practice a different way and really integrate it. But you know, business is political, coaching is political, it's and and feminism is in everything. And so, right, feminist beliefs and values. And yeah, so if our coaching and our practice and our business doesn't reflect that, then it's, we're not really creating a new different way.
1: No, we're not disrupting the status quo. And if we're in the business of, you know, if that's one of our core values, then I think what's so wonderful about like bringing together feminist theory and coaching is that it gives you this framework to, yeah, to basically come up with new ways of doing if it doesn't sound right, if it doesn't feel right, you know, it gives you that permission to say, okay, well, let's think about this differently then. Why do we have to do it that way? Because all of these people over here say that we need to. And I think that's just so wonderful because I think there's a lot of imposter syndrome when we set up these little businesses on our own. Um, And so it can be having a group of folks who are saying, no, let's let's do this differently can be really needed, especially at the beginning. I mean, I think anyway, but I think at the beginning, it can be really scary to think about doing something differently.
0: Right. It can be. Yes. And. Something that we've seen, Nay and I have seen, is like people still sort of see feminism as separate from learning how to market, for example, or grow their business. And it's like instead of seeing them as connected, so like actually what's going to help you in your marketing and grow your business is to learn more about feminist theory. <laughs> Yes, yeah. <laughs> but it's a lot of people haven't made that connection yet. And, you know, to be a little more specific, it's like, well, you know, when you learn more about the different feminist theories, like we learn in the Feminist Coach Academy and different teachings, and you begin to implement that, you begin, your language starts to change how you talk to your audience, maybe even who your audience is, your clients, your customers and and how you talk to them and how you show up and how you run your business is all influenced by the feminist teachings and theory that you're learning. And that is what can bring more money.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, and it's also so much more freeing. I think that people, people get when you really feel an integrity in how you're talking about your work, on how you're setting out your business policies, you know, it really allows you to check in with, okay, you know, how am I going to price stuff? You know, I really need to, I believe that I'm allowed to charge, you know, for the value that I bring, but also maybe I want to have some equity pricing, you know, for some folks or what are other ways I can make my work accessible, you know, by having all this free stuff on a podcast or, (laughs) you know um putting out lots of free resources to people but it really lets you like define so clearly like you know what is my policy on cancellation you know and from that place when you're really aligned i think that it comes across in how you work with people and how you communicate with them yeah and it you have that genuine trust which is not that kind of you know that kind of manipulative scarcity stuff that we see so often that you sort of erodes trust, I think, rather than, yeah, making you feel like somebody's being authentic. Right, exactly.
0: Yeah, you don't have to play those manipulative games or like just connect with people to get them to follow you and be a client. (laughs) Yeah, and you
1: know, something that really didn't resonate for me so much is like, specifically in the work that I do, you know, there is people have experienced so much shame about their body and about the relationship with food that the idea of me massaging those pain points, you know, in the way that you're told to do in order to market and my business to start talking about all of the ways in which they're struggling and really paint this elaborate story just didn't feel right. It felt like it was going to be harmful. Whereas I'm able to just use my own words around being more compassionate you know and I worked with a feminist marketing consultant to help me with that which was really freeing as well you know painting this vision of what what a future might look like that isn't this kind of done in the same way that die culture is you know like we talked about this you know perfect hero's journey of a story <laughs> right
0: yeah exactly I yeah, and you kind of, you. sometimes you, I think it can be helpful to share your story and there's a way to do it where it feels good. But sometimes we can kind of exploit ourselves over and over again, you know, with the this, this stories. And I, I don't really have a story. I have never really used a story to sort of sell myself. I don't know that I have one story where it's like, I did this, and then I did that, and now you can do it too. (laughs) Oh, yes. And I hate that. And that's exactly,
1: that makes me cringe. You know, I don't want to be the person that says, hey, I've learned to love my body, so you can too. But what I want to say is that there is a more compassionate way to be in relationship with your body, you know. Let's help you reframe your story. What might healing look like for you? what might be some practices that support self-care that feels more authentic for you? Not my self-care framework. Exactly. Obviously it will share some tools in the same way. But I think what's lovely about all of us using a feminist framework, and I, I notice this all the time in how we talk in the coaching calls and in the office hours, it's like always having that lens, which is like, well, what's your lived experiences? And how might that impact what you want to do?
0: So yeah, totally. And it's going to differ person to person. Yes. Yeah. I've really, really been trying to get away from, well, if I could do this, you can do it too. And also, I used to focus a lot more on mindset in terms of like marketing. And I still work with clients on mindset. But I realized too that, there's a lot of marketing around mindset that is kind of problematic and is just not going to resonate with everybody, right? And that everyone kind of has different, you know, whether it's like if you're struggling with depression or you have, you know, certain things where it's like or maybe less privileges to or access or to resources or things. It's, it's like these things aren't necessarily going to land For some people and of course you're not here to please everyone in the world your business is not for literally eight billion people but you know there it's i think when we we think more about you know integrating a feminist lens into our business it's like we start thinking more about our approach to things and thinking of these common marketing and business tactics differently and always Always being in question, too, you know, and I mean, some might resonate and you really like, and you're like, no, that's kind of genuinely me or what I want to do. And then some may not, too. And then, you know, like sometimes, you know, I see feminists who like want to have a feminine business, and that's not me, I'll tell you that. So, like, that doesn't resonate with me, but it might resonate with some feminists because to me, feminine and feminist is very different. But so, like, it's just, it is being in continuous questioning of these things and also just checking in with yourself about what feels good with you and your body, going back to body stuff, right? And like, and listening to that. Well, yeah. You know, exactly like you
1: said, it's not going to, we're not going to, it's not like trying to create this, we're not going to speak to everybody all of the time. But I think like what you've just named is like, I think mindset work is, really important but if we're missing out the piece of oppression and privilege oppression then if we say it's a mindset issue which I see so much yeah that's what I mean it's, that's what I or mean. it's your limiting belief but what if it's not just your limiting belief you know what if it's also all these layers of oppression so I think like you know we can talk about mindset we can talk about limiting beliefs 100% I use those in my work but I also and I know that you do um, brilliantly, but I think that when we add on this worldview around helping people externalize like any of the shame or bias that they've internalized, then, you know, we can help folks see, unpick it and see what, what's the actual belief, but also like what's the lie they were sold? You know, what's the part that's not their fault? I mean, a big piece of, you know, what we do in Body Trust and what I try and do is like, help folks externalize shame and externalize blame and bias, you know, from their story so that they're able to see like what would be their choice, you know? Because so much of this is about diet culture and, you know, the patriarchy and capitalism and all these things. Like they send us outside of ourselves looking for the answer. Like they tell us that we're a problem and that we need to be fixed and they're gonna sell us the solution. And I think really for me, like my work is about helping folks unpack that, unpack the, you know, the stories that weren't theirs to begin with, you know, the stories that they no longer want to buy into, you know, the systems of oppression they don't want to buy into. So like by divesting from diet culture, you know, it's, it's not always easy, but you know, I'm, I'm not buying into, a, you know, a system that benefits from my shame.
0: Yes, exactly. I think it's it's so important to invest in what is liberating for you. And you know, I think what I see a lot too are people who might call themselves feminists or might be interested in feminism, but maybe they're a little new to it, but they' like they're starting their business, they're starting their coaching practice, and they're like, Oh, I need to, I need to go to like the gurus in my industry, right? And, and learn from them. But it's like, if you look at who the gurus are, they don't necessarily have a feminist analysis and perspective. I think this is really important in terms of investing in your business and investing in, you know, enhancing your coaching skills and, and growing your feminism is to really invest in the people who are invested. In feminism and who are invested in talking about systemic oppression as well as entrepreneurship and coaching or healing or therapy, whatever helping professional you are.
1: Yeah. And I think when you have that, when you integrate, you know, your feminism in with setting up your business, that really can flow through into every place. Like, okay, if I'm looking to invest in, a business coach, or I'm looking to invest in a copywriter, or I'm looking to invest in this system, you can use that as a framework and say, you know, do I want to give my money to someone who's not elevating the voices of, you know, women, other marginalized folks? Yeah. You know, and a lot of the time that is like a real gut check. <laughs> yeah,
0: right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, when you look at some of these people and you're like, oh, hang on a minute, Definitely that was the case. I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes when I first started my business, but I think that having this like framework now allows me to go check in with myself and say, okay, Nikki, like this voice is telling you that you need to do X, Y, and Z. Is that coming from a kind of, I think, internalized belief that you've got that's from, you know, some system of oppression that that, that we actually doesn't align with my values. And it kind of helps me to like, Make the next right choice for me, and not get pulled off. I think it's something that just felt ripples out, and you know, into all parts of my life. You know, that ability to trust ourselves is just such a core part of of this approach. You know, like we can absolutely value experts, and we can absolutely, you know, invest in skills and resources, and but it feels very different when it feels collaborative. When it feels like that, it's not some kind of somebody telling you this is what you have to do you know that patriarchal
0: structure right exactly like this is yeah you know if you want x this is what you need to do and we don't do that in the academy because we do believe that everyone needs to do business their way and what works for me doesn't necessarily work for you I mean I know a lot of successful entrepreneurs you know, making a lot of money and they all are doing business differently. Like how they've sold their services and how they make their money is different person to person. So I just don't think we have a one size fits all approach anyway.
1: No, we don't. And also like, there's no perfect way. We're all human. And, you know, trying to make it like perfect is again, buying into the systems, which us that, you know, it's, (laughs) there is no perfect way. And we're allowed to be fully human in running our businesses. And we're trying our best,
0: but we're going to get it wrong. Yeah, we're going to get it wrong. Sometimes we're going to make mistakes. And that's okay. Yeah. But I think what I love also about the discussions that we have,
1: you know, for example, the lecture we had with Desiree Attaway, you know, it's not about being perfect. It's also about how we hold ourselves accountable, how we make reparations if we need to, how we how we make amends and how we, we're not afraid to like show up and like be there and, you know, a little bit messy. You know, we're sort of getting that balance between having an awareness and having an analysis, but also, you know, not trying to buy into that idea that we're going to be perfect and that we're not allowed to be human.
0: Exactly. And when you do get something that wrong or make a mistake to show up with courage, you know, anyway, and listening and still showing up because that's really important. And it's it's so, you know, we, I think we have a tendency to want to shut down and withdraw, but it's actually being brave, stepping into bravery, stepping in is a bit ableist term, but, you know, moving in, I don't know, (laughs) moving into bravery and yeah, just being able to listen and kind of put the ego aside for a bit, quiet the ego as much as possible and still just show up as someone who perhaps made a mistake. And, and that's what we all want to see, you know, as someone who is queer and I want to see people be gender inclusive and use more non-binary language and approaches. What matters to me is not that you're perfect, but that you just continue to learn. And even if you do mess up or keep not quite getting it, as long as you keep trying, that's what matters. And acknowledging and learning, right? Like being willing to be like, oh, okay, that term is kind of outdated or, oh, that's not as inclusive as it could be. All right, well, let me, what can I learn here, you know? And instead of just going silent or being, you know, withdrawing or avoiding. And it's really about showing up imperfectly that makes a difference and really just trying something.
1: Yes. You know. And it, you know, language is so tricky, you know, and it's you know, like even when we talked at the beginning, like when I describe my body, I use the word fat. And um, and for a lot of people that's loaded. But then also when I talk about the people I work with, I describe them as being in higher weight bodies. And not everybody agrees on using that term, you know, so it's being sensitive to it and learning and being willing to change, you know. And one thing that really take it a feminist approach to my work has helped me with is really helping me like come back to that place of curiosity rather than defensiveness, you know, like really hold that huh. I've not heard it put that way before you know and really like allowed me to be reflective and to continue to learn and it's the reason that I have I love the body trust approach so much and the reason that I work the way I do is that I really see there's not enough people you know working on food and body stuff that that really are doing the work to unpack their own internalized body shame across all areas and it's not about being perfect you know uh, for me this is an a constant process that I'm doing, you know, and it's not about striving to be, we all have to be perfect, but, it's, but I think if we're not naming the ways in which our worldview might be different than somebody else's and being curious about learning about how gender identity might impact relationship with food and body, just because that's not my experience doesn't mean that I, you know, I definitely should be exploring it. You know, like we talked about the gender identity workbook you know, and that my process of going through that, because it's not about trying to learn. I'm using quotation marks here, what that experience is. But it's like having that curiosity to understand what other lived experiences might look like, just so I can have an awareness of when my own particular worldview might be limiting my understanding of somebody else's experience.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, what you just said, that is kind of what I was meant to articulate earlier about the, yeah, taking different approaches to mindset and, you know, our marketing and stuff and coming back to, okay, what are other lived experiences here? And how can we speak to that too? Yeah. What am I missing? Yeah. What am I missing?
1: And we're not always going to speak to everyone because that's the sneaky way privilege shows up, isn't it? You know, like we don't know. (laughs) you know and it's just trying to learn and and when we notice that we that we've missed something being curious about that and looking to see okay how can I incorporate that or be a bit more sensitive next time but you know not buying into that you know beating ourselves with a stick narrative right
0: exactly yes it is a balance
1: coming back to that you know We can be pissed at the systems because we're all part of these systems. You know, we're all both the oppressor and the oppressed. So really externalizing and being pissed at systems and angry at systems, you know, and being a little bit softer with our hearts towards ourselves and to, you know.
0: Each other. Yeah. Towards others. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. Okay. Well, that's a beautiful note to end on. But uh, before go, because we could talk all day. This is such juicy stuff. (laughs) Where can people find you?
1: Yeah, so they can find me on Instagram at Nicola Haggett. So that's N-I-C-O-L-A-H-A-G-G-E-T-T. And my website's the same. It's nicolahaggett.com. And probably by the time folks are listening to this, if they go onto my website, they'll be able to download my free guide to um, some foundational body liberation practices, which I hope will be really nurturing for folks. If they want to get that, they can they can sign up on my website.
0: Yes, definitely, listeners, go grab that. You're going to want to be a part of Nikki's email community. I love what she shares. So good. Yes. (laughs) And yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. We love having you. It's been so amazing getting to know you more and being in community with you. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I really love this chat. It was really nice. Me too. Take care, Cam. You too. Thank you for listening to today's episode please go to www.feministcoachacademy.com To learn more about our certification training, to grab our freebies, we have a number of freebies available for you. And to learn more about who we are, our advisory board, and to listen to more podcast episodes, make sure you are subscribed to our podcast in iTunes or Spotify, and that you're following us on social media at Feminist Coach Academy on Instagram and Facebook. And if you love Love our podcast. We would love it if you would rate and write us a review in iTunes. That would be amazing. Thank you so much. Have a joyful rest of your day.